0: Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Learning with the Lion, a community read-through of the Gospel of Mark. Over the summer of 2023, members of the Ligonier community are coming together to walk through a 13-week exploration of Jesus' life, practicing reading the Bible together and asking what it means for everyday life. For more information, visit epiphanyligonier.org mark, where you can also sign up for our companion e-newsletter. In our Mark reading this week, we approach one of the most important passages in the whole book, and one of the most important events in Jesus' whole ministry, the Transfiguration. And I want to use the Transfiguration this week as a jump-off point to talk about a biblical reality that deserves our attention because we will be asked about it, and it's worth knowing the answer to it in advance. I want to talk about how we as Christians should read the Gospels in light of the fact that there are four Gospels, and each one tells a unique story about the life and ministry of Jesus. And sure, the Gospels have overlap. Each Gospel, for instance, tells us about John the Baptist, or it mentions feeding a massive crowd with the miraculous multiplication of fish and bread. Each of them explore the triumphal entry and offers Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection as the climax of their narratives. But of all four Gospels, only John records Jesus turning water into wine. Only Luke records the parable of the prodigal son. Only Matthew tells the story of Herod slaughtering the children of Bethlehem after Jesus' birth. So today's podcast is a short primer on what it means to be a Christian and to have four gospel stories describing Jesus' life and ministry that don't always match up as we would expect. And so here are three tips that will help guide your understanding of the Gospels and how each one should be read and studied. First tip, multiple biographies of a famous person are actually pretty common. Some people get anxious that there are four biographies of Jesus in the Bible— Why not just one that tells the whole story completely? Well, in our own time, we don't think it's particularly out of the ordinary to have multiple biographies for important people. According to the internet, there are 900 published biographies of George Washington that have been published in the last 250 years or so. And some of those biographies are better than others. Of course, not all 900 of them are great. In the same way, there are other biographies about Jesus, too, and we call these the Gnostic Gospels. They are not great biographies of Jesus. Uh, A scholar friend of mine jokes to say that they're more like Jesus fan fiction for pagans, imagining if Jesus was one of their prophets instead of being a Christian. The reason we have these four biographies is because a they're connected to people who actually knew Jesus, b they explain Jesus' life and ministry in the context of the Old Testament, C. Their theology lines up with what's passed down from the original apostles. And D. We have a lot of manuscripts confirming the veracity of each of them. The Gnostic Gospels are not just some sort of great conspiracy theory. Uh, The Church has known about these Gnostic Gospels for a long time. They're just not good or right or true, so we don't talk about them. So that's tip one. There are multiple biographies for famous people, and we don't think that's a problem in our own time. Tip number two, ancient biographies have a different set of priorities than modern biographies. Let's go back to George Washington. In those biographies of George Washington, there's probably a lot of overlap in each one. They likely start off with his birth, and then go to his childhood, move on to his adulthood, and then explore his most important accomplishments and then they each conclude with his retirement and probably his death. Ancient biographies weren't the same way. It was common, for example, to begin with a miraculous birth, but then skip over the childhood of famous people. The focus was on the person's triumphs and successes. Chronology wasn't particularly important. Things were rearranged and reorganized in a person's biography to emphasize what they were good at and why their life was important. Family history? Not important neither were in-depth psychological explanations of actions considered. By our own standards, ancient biographies can sometimes read like propaganda or hagiography, embellished accounts of a person's life meant to gloss over the bad stuff and highlight the good stuff. In the ancient world, however, that just wasn't a priority. There were often no boxes of letters to sort, no family members to interrogate. They were limits on literacy, and so biographies had to be short and easy to read out loud. So, we don't read back our modern notions of biography and apply them to the four Gospels. They are in line with the writing conventions of their time. Final tip, tip three, biographies narrow down their emphasis to appeal to different audiences. Each one of those 900 biographies of George Washington surely has a different emphasis. One might focus on Washington's military career. The other might focus on Washington's political career, or his childhood, or his management of his Mount Vernon estate. Some may be written for children or teens to use in a classroom setting. They're all good, they're all true, and they're all biographies. But they highlight different parts of Washington's life and legacy, and they do so at different depths. The four Gospels are the same way. We find that Mark has an emphasis on Jesus' kingship and authority. It's probably written for Christians experiencing a wave of persecution perhaps even Christians in the region of Galilee since Mark's Gospel is so focused on Jesus's ministry there Matthew takes the basics of Mark's Gospel and adds to it encounters and teachings and miracles that emphasize Jesus's Messiahship to a Jewish audience and Luke does the opposite he takes the basics of Mark's Gospel and emphasizes Jesus's particular care for Gentiles and the poor and women Because these three Gospels share a similar core of content, they are often called the Synoptic Gospels for how much they overlap. John's Gospel, however, is different from the other three. There is not nearly as much overlap in teaching, in miracles, and encounters. Scholars think that it was likely composed as a response to the aforementioned Gnostics, who tried to shoehorn Jesus into their own mystery religion. Because it features so many different moments from Jesus' life that aren't recorded in the other Gospels, Scholars also think that John included a number of teachings and encounters and miracles he thought needed to be remembered alongside those synoptic Gospels. Some people in the past have tried to rearrange the four Gospels and offer a total chronological pattern of Jesus' life and ministry. While the rough shape of something like that can be sketched out, those efforts are ultimately unhelpful, because they erase the importance of context of the narratives that surround each of the things being rearranged. Instead, we let each of the four Gospels stand on their own and tell their own story. So let's put all this together. Mark's story of the Transfiguration is prefaced by Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah. It is immediately followed by a demon possession that the disciples cannot seem to exercise. The same thing is true for Matthew's account and Luke's account. That string of events, starting with Jesus' asking, who do you say that I am, and ending with the disciples struggling to cast out a demon, that same flow exists in Matthew's and Luke's Gospel. Luke doesn't, however, mention that Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi, but Matthew and Mark both do. Luke records the topic of discussion that Jesus has with Moses and Elijah. He records the fact they were talking about his coming departure, his death and his resurrection and his ascension. The other Gospels don't. Matthew notes that at God's affirming Jesus' Sonship at the voice of God, the disciples fall down and quake with terror, and Jesus comes over to reassure them that everything's okay. Mark records none of this. John doesn't record it happening at all. So what are we to make of the Transfiguration? Well, here's what I think we can take away. It's a turning point in Jesus' ministry no matter who you ask. We, the reader, learn everything there is to know about Jesus, his divinity, his plan to die and rise again, his glory and power, and his title as Messiah. It's also a truth so big and miraculous that the disciples just don't get it, and they won't until much later. More than anything, this string of passages is important for everyone to know, whether we are under persecution, familiar with Old Testament scripture, or a welcome outsider into God's kingdom. It teaches us that suffering and holiness are not opposites, and neither are persecution and righteousness. It shows us how clueless we can all be towards God's revelation towards us. That God can tell us things until He's blue in the mouth and we're still incapable of understanding it. But finally, it shows how Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who knew early on the sacrifices He'd have to make and chose to make them anyway. Say Grace Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.